0: Do you know the evidence behind video consultations in clinical practice? More importantly, do you want to know the pros and cons of using video consultations for your patients? I'm going to cover that and more in this episode this is the first time we're meeting, I'm Dr. Gandalf of EGP Learning, where I look at supporting you with technology enhanced primary care and learning. And in this episode, I'm gonna be speaking to Professor Helen Atherton from the University of Warwick, who's gonna be telling us about her research in terms of video consultations and the evidence behind them, and more importantly, how that can be used to better serve patients. Is it a good thing? Is it a bad thing? Shall we find out? As always, if you've got any comments, make sure you leave them down below in the show notes, Or you can always contact me on Twitter at DrGandalf52 or at EGP Learning. Or as always, Facebook, Instagram, YouTube, LinkedIn, wherever. Make sure you click subscribe to make sure you're notified of all of our content first and foremost. And as always, here to try and help you. And I'd love a review. Anyway, shall we begin? Hi, GP learners. So for this session, I'm joined by Professor Helen Atherton, who works at the Unit of Academic and Primary Care in Warwick Medical School. And she's here to talk to us about the evidence behind video consultations. Um, so as many of you GP learners know, I'm a little bit pro video consultations in the sense I think they can have benefit for primary care. But I think it's really important that we look at the evidence behind them purely and simply because, well, that's what we do as doctors. We look at evidence. So can they actually be useful? Do they have problems? Well, I thought we'd speak to an expert and Helen's going to take us through it. So how are we doing, Helen?
1: Good, thanks. Really great to be, to be with you today. Um, Thank very you. to talk to you about the evidence behind video consultations. And as you said, I work at the University of Warwick. I'm at Warwick Medical School, and I've been researching um, alternatives to a face-to-face consultation since 2007. Um, wow. But of, of course back then things were quite different <laughs> mm-hmm. and we've seen a really huge increase in the last few years in the amount of kind of remote consulting that's happening in general practice um so what i'll do i'll start by tel- telling you why remote consultation why is it such a big yeah. thing yeah so there's a lot of pressure to modernize the health service um of course people complain about access to their gen general practitioner mm-hmm. um, and Remote consultations, digital options are seen as a way to tackle that. Um, NHS England are very keen on them in terms of having a digital front door for primary care, that people will have the option to have an online consultation if they want it. The NHS long term plan also documented this. Um, and the new GP contract states that um, all patients should have access to online consultation by April 2020, which is not very long away. And there's Mm -hmm. also some quite grand claims made about the effect that they have on workload, that they'll reduce workload, they'll save time, they'll improve efficiency, lots and lots of things. Um, But, of course, what someone like me is interested in is what the evidence is behind those claims and whether what general practitioners are being asked to do is actually going to reap the benefits that are that are claimed okay Um, and that kind of leads me on to something that I want to talk about called digital exceptionalism so the idea that digital technology is always positive and it is somehow exempt from the same high levels of evidence that we demand in other areas of the health service when we introduce Mm -hmm. a new way of doing things Um, and Research, particularly academic research, is seen as being slow and cumbersome. It's not quick enough. It doesn't keep up with the technology um, and kind of leads to this idea that we should do things and then think about whether they work afterwards. It's certainly the case that it's really good to evaluate things as you do them, but it's also really good to to see that what you're doing um, Mm -hmm. works for the most patients in the best way.
0: Yeah, definitely Um, agree with that.
1: Yeah, (laughs) so who... Who uses remote consultation? Well, if we look at the practice level, um, telephone consultation is by far the most common method of doing a remote consultation. Um, About two thirds of practices offer those, so it's still not all of them. When it comes to other methods, email consultation tends to be used by individual GPs within a practice. It's rarely offered at a practice level. Um, Online consultation platforms are very popular these days. as a way to triage patients. Um, but still about 800 practices use those and there's around 7,000 practices in England alone. And when it comes to video, which is what we're here to talk about, the numbers are even lower. So we are increasingly seeing pilots happening in Mm -hmm. different practices, but we're still talking a very small proportion. So there's, there's kind of a mismatch between what we're hearing from policymakers and what's actually happening on the ground when it comes to patients, we know that the people who use online methods, they are different to people who do face-to-face and telephone consultations. So people doing telephone consultations tend to be quite similar to people using Mm. face-to-face consultations. But when it comes to online at the moment, they tend to be younger, uh, white, um, educated, working people, which I guess makes sense because often these things are billed as being convenient for working people and and all those things. Okay. So just going to move on now to say a little bit about about the kind of the broader evidence base around um, remote consultation. So I was part of a big study which looked at all different types of alternatives to a face-to-face consultation. Um, And some of that was about video too. What was interesting about that is that, as you might imagine, because practices differ the way that people use these things differ. Every practice might have a different rationale for why they do it, and that is often Mm -hmm. dependent on their patient population. Of course, patients like to do it, but equally some of them don't. And what comes out of a lot of the research that's been done so far is that the face-to-face consultation is always the gold standard for patients. So they might happily use a different type of consultation, Mm -hmm. but they don't want their face-to-face consultation being taken away. And these things are always an alternative and not a replacement. Um, and I should say that any research that I talk about today is freely available online for anyone who wants to have a look at it. And there are summaries included with it. So you don't have to wade through tons and tons of complicated, detailed research to see the findings.
0: Cool.
1: Um, so moving on to think about video in particular, because that's what that's what we're here for. Um, mm-hmm. Watching over the last 10 years how things have developed, um, we've seen lots of quite high profile pilots over the years where practices have tried it, they've written a new story about it, but then we've maybe gone and tried to follow up with on it in res- for our research studies and things have kind of tailed off, there hasn't been the uptake. The GP Access Fund, um, which used to be called the Prime Minister's Challenge Fund, you might have heard of it, mm-hmm. um, involved giving practices £50,000 to try, or practices or groups, £50,000 to try um, different ways of accessing general practice. And quite a few of them in the first wave said that they would use video consultation. But we followed those people up and got in touch with them and also looked at the final report. And in actual fact, they found it very hard to implement and they often didn't do it okay so we we felt there was something there about how difficult it is to get video consultation into general practice and there's a professor in oxford trish greenhouse who's done a lot of work on video consultation in secondary care settings mm-hmm. and it's very much shown that the benefits are kind of you know you have when you think about the benefits you also have to think about the implementation which can be quite difficult so just before i move on to talk about the research that you mentioned. Um, mm-hmm that I've been involved in in video consultation, I wanted to say something about what we can expect to get from video. So there's been quite a lot of research on telephone consultation, and we know that compared to a face-to-face consultation, they're shorter, they cover fewer problems, um, you get less data gathering, less advice, Mm -hmm. they're not suitable for for, um, complicated presentations, and they're not necessarily time-saving. Mm -hmm. but something that is key is that the lack of visual cues and non-verbal cues can be seen as a loss so Mm -hmm. what video offers over a telephone consultation is you still get the remoteness of not having to go in for a consultation or for the gp not having to see someone face to face but you're going to get the visual and the non-verbal cues and it potentially fills a gap and i think this is why one of the reasons why why it it appeals to gps um, because it gives them that extra depth Mm-hmm. So taking all this into account, the fact that it's something that is, you know, very, very popular, the idea of it, policymakers love it, it's modern. Um, there was a real gap in the evidence. So um, I got involved in the VICO study. This was a study led by the University of Edinburgh, Professor Brian McIntyre, someone I've worked with for a long time. And it was a feasibility study. Could we put video consultation into general practice and compare it to other methods of consultation? So this study started in um, 2016. And what we did, we used video as an alternative method of a follow-up consultation. So we didn't go in all guns blazing looking at every type of consultation um, because we felt that would be too complicated at this point. Mm -hmm. And we were fortunate enough to use a platform called Attend Anywhere, which is piloted by NHS Scotland and this platform is used in secondary care settings there Um, and we put it into six general practices and we enrolled 13 clinicians who then offered patients a face-to-face, a telephone or a video follow-up and we ended up with roughly 50 patients in each of those groups. Before I talk any more about the results of the study, I do want to just talk for a couple of minutes about the technical and logistical issues we faced during setup. So I've already explained that some of the evidence around use of video in secondary care, well, all of it pretty much has highlighted the issues we face around implementation. Well, we certainly found that in setting up this study. So we wanted to use the platform, Attend Anywhere, and it runs on Google Chrome. But the computers in the practices in NHS Scotland only yeah. run into Explorer. <laughs> so yes. we, had, we had to buy tablets for the participating practices, okay, quite pricey. Then we had to buy tablet stands so that the GPs could do the consultations. Um, mm-hmm. And then often the broadband in the practices wasn't good enough to support the bandwidth that was needed for, yeah. the, for the consultations. So we also paid for broadband in those practices. And all yeah. of this was before we even thought about the patient side of things. Mm -hmm. Um, So there were a lot, lots of logistical difficulties in that sense, but all really useful information, I think, if we're thinking about the realities of actually trying to get this into practice, these are all things Mm -hmm. that need to be thought about. So, Our study had a couple of, different. we looked at various different things. So we looked at the length of the consultations, the content of the consultations. We also talked to GPs and patients, did an interview study to find out how they experienced it. We did questionnaires. The study is published and um, the links are on the last slide of this presentation and it's all freely available. So you're able to go off and read it if you're interested exactly in the detail of what we did. Mm -hmm. In terms of what we found... I found this particularly interesting, but I would say overall, um, there are lots of similarities with a telephone consultation. So they're similar in length. Okay. Video is more likely to be used for for just one problem than than telephone or Mm face-to-face. The type of problem addressed didn't differ according to the different options, but we kind of expected that because these were follow-up consultations, so we knew what they would include. Um, And it was similar to telephone in relation to whether people came back for another consultation within four weeks. So we saw similar kind of reconsultation rates. I should say this wasn't a randomised trial. It was a feasibility study. So, you know, there are lots of factors that will have gotten in the way of these findings, but they are indicative of what we might expect um, and also informative for us in terms of doing future research. Um, One thing that was interesting from talking to the GPs, to the nurses, to the patients, is that many of the advantages came from it being remote. So Mm
0: -hmm.
1: um, both the telephone and video are remote. So that this idea of remoteness is not necessarily exclusive to video, but video does offer advantages in terms of the visual cues Mm -hmm. and the rapport that you get from making eye contact with somebody. Mm -hmm. And of course, it's suitable for some conditions, but not all. So There are some times where it was felt that it just wouldn't be appropriate if you wanted to have an ongoing discussion about something. This was in part down to technical issues. So worth bearing in mind that in setting up a service like this, there are often technical issues that won't persist. So those first few consultations might be rather difficult, but we don't Actually, think that that's necessarily something that will last. So, for example, we told patients that they needed to be somewhere with Wi-Fi. They often, when well that they weren't often, out of Wi-Fi areas. But some patients were were not, and we couldn't do consultations. And so, okay. things like that are problems that can be worked through. Um, mm-hmm. Similarly, setting setting up the system, using it for the first time is always going to be more difficult. So that's the kind of thing that you you can work around. So if I'm concluding about this study and i have kind of taken you on a whistle-stop tour of the findings, I'd recommend that you read a bit more about it if you're interested. But video is very similar to a telephone consultation. So I think for practices thinking about doing it, they have to think about what, what you get from the advantages that video brings. So it's this visual element, the convenience, and of course the idea that you're a practice offering a modern option that is mm-hmm. routinely in use in day-to-day life. You know, people are Skyping each other and FaceTiming each other. And it's good for conditions where formal examination is not required. But the big caveat is that the technical and logistical issues need to be addressed before it can be successfully rolled out. And Mm -hmm. I wouldn't underestimate the challenges that that might be faced in trying to set something like this up. So that's me. I've provided some links to the research. It's all freely available. But also two evidence-based toolkits. (laughs) So one of them is about introducing video consultation specifically, and the other one is about introducing any sort of alternative to a face-to-face consultation. You might find those helpful if it's something you're thinking about doing in your practice. Thank you.
0: Thank you, Helen. I mean that, that was really amazing content and I think um, uh, I know from my experience with using video consultations, um, it can be quite challenging and you're definitely right about the infrastructure, um, you know the fact that the NHS seems to run off Internet Explorer. Eight, I think we've finally got <laughs> up to, is um, a bit of a challenge. Um, yeah. Although my practice is p- pending the Windows 10 refresh, because obviously Windows 7 is about to no longer be supported. Yeah. So almost every practice is going to hopefully come to the modern era of um, internet usage and stuff. So that side of things hopefully should be sorted soon for most practices. Um, but you're definitely right about it, the internet um, and and broadband and that kind of stuff There needs to be that you know uh, infrastructure effectively to make it effective. Um, I know having worked with certain providers in the past that they have systems that will automatically drop a patient down to a telephone consultation run through the internet itself, which obviously uses a lot less bandwidth um, if the um, bandwidth doesn't support a video consultation. So that can be a good system kind of to prepare things. but. Yeah. In terms of having to use it, um, I had to have two separate computers running. So one for the, the video consultation system, Oof. and one for the the patient access, um, you know, the notes yeah. side of things because it couldn't handle both being on the same computer.
1: Yeah, these logistical things really make a difference, and I think that's true of all the different types of alternatives to face to face consultation. That we don't mm. see good we don't see good connection with the record. So you're often having to work across two different screens or two different types of things. Mm. Um, which is just it's cumbersome isn't it and it's mm. it's more work but it's not insurmountable and I think we'll get to a point where where we can get around those things well one of the things I didn't put into the slides but another result of the video the the video consultation study was that when we looked at how many of the follow-up consultations reverted to a different type of consultation Mm -hmm. around 10 10 of the we did we did almost 50 video consultations and 10 of them reverted to uh, a telephone consultation because of a technical issue so Mm -hmm. quite a high level number a high proportion Mm -hmm. ended up being a telephone consultation, which is fine in terms of you know that's the safest thing to do but again worth bearing in mind that these teething problems can make a difference to the workload in the first instance
0: okay and i guess with the research that you did did you get a flavor at all for um because you mentioned that um the type of consultations people did it didn't seem to make a huge difference between the video and the the face-to-face kind of um models um i guess one consultation that i would see a little bit challenging is potentially the mental health one Mm -hmm. now obviously the study looked at follow-up so this may be why it had that um similarities but i guess doing a first you know um significant mental health consultation or depression or anxiety through a video interface i know some would say that's doable some would say that's not doable i mean have you got any i guess context to that potentially
1: yeah yeah so so in this study and in other studies that i've done it i mean this is probably not a helpful answer but honestly it really depends on the patient so okay. sometimes people really like to do a remote consultation because they don't have to go out if mm-hmm. they're in a position where they don't feel they want to go out. We had, we had patients who were agoraphobic, Mm. really liked not having to leave their home or they don't have to, they don't have to kind of be in that healthcare setting, but then Mm. equally other patients and GPs actually, who felt really uncomfortable with the idea of doing it over video. So I think Mm. it's very much an argument for, for any, using any alternative to a face-to-face consultation in the context of a doctor-patient relationship and making that judgment call. Mm-hmm. Um, so certainly uh, most of the research that I've done has shown that all of these things work better in the context of a doctor-patient relationship where you know the patient. Mm-hmm. So for an initial consultation where you don't know them, it's probably not the wisest plan. But if you know them and and it seems like that's something that would work, mm-hmm. then you're on safer ground. Does that make sense?
0: Yeah, it does. So it yeah. sounds like similar to telephone consultations because there's a difference between a, um, a first time telephone consultation with a patient compared to when it's a follow up, which yeah. um, generally that's thought to be uh, more safer. You know, what the patient a lot more effectively. You've got some context to base that consultation on. And it sounds like what you're saying that similar, similarly, uh, video consultations kind of works that same way. Yeah. And I, I guess I'd agree with that as well, because I think one of the interesting things is that um, when you consult via video routes as well, there is still an element of consultation skills that needs to be adapted specifically mm. for using. So um, uh, some of our EGP learners will remember the video I did about my top five tips for using video consultations. And one of them, for example, is looking at the camera, not yeah. looking at the screen, because yeah. actually that's more empathic because um, I was so if I was to show it now, if I was to look straight at the camera, yeah uh, to you it would look like i'm looking straight at you um whereas if i look at the screen which is where i would see you it kind of yeah. is a little bit off because i'm now doing that and yeah, yeah yeah so um being aware of the fact that there are skills in terms of how you use a video format that do translate in terms of how that impacts the um engagement and the rapport and, uh, and that kind of stuff And um, uh, and i think that's something that we've not really seen a lot of Teaching or education, or, yeah. or in development, even for clinicians, because it's kind of like you said. There's a, a great new technology. Use it.
1: Yeah.
0: <laughs> yeah. yeah. Uh, and you know, people are still, I think, trying to find their way through that kind of method.
1: I would completely agree with that. I think I think there's definitely room for changes to to um, education in terms of how people consult, and it, it's only gonna it's only gonna increase the amount the amount of remote consultation that will be required is going to increase and we need to think about talking to medical students about it, talking to mm-hmm. trainees and really kind of preempting it
0: mm-hmm.
1: in that regard. And I, I completely agree with your tip because I'm terrible for it. I'm looking at the camera and then I'm looking at the screen and and <laughs> I think it's just one of those things. It's not it's not natural, is it? You really no. do have to think about it.
0: Yep. Yeah. It also requires really good peripheral vision. Yes. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> Um, and I guess my last kind of question is there's a massive focus at the moment for your primary care using video consultations. As you mentioned, long-term plan, um, you know, access is a big one as well.
1: Yeah. Uh,
0: how do you see, I guess, because my personal view is that I think it can work, but actually the, the bigger nugget is um, secondary care um, using video consultations because yeah. the whole issue of having to take potentially a whole day off work or from mm-hmm. your life to go to a um, outpatients appointments um, because you have to go, you have to park. Oh my gosh, parking is an absolute <laughs> nightmare. Um, uh, and then you know potentially you can sometimes you know if the clinics are massively overbooked, which unfortunately a lot of the times they can be, you can be waiting several hours in certain situations to be seen for what yeah. is effect- effectively a ten minute consultation. Yeah, uh, and that's a clearly different regionality to when you go to your GP practice, which I know some patients will probably be, some people will be watching this saying, well that's exactly what happens when I go to see my GP, um, but <laughs> The difference is your GP is just around the corner, typically, because of geography based on hospital, which could be an hour away, could be, you know, two hours away, for example, particularly the super centres and that kind of stuff. Um, so do you know if there's any kind of evidence to show uh, the impact that video consultation can have with patients and secondary care?
1: There's a lot, yeah. So, um, so Professor Trisha Greenhouse in Oxford has done a lot of work on this, um, and there are other people looking at it. Um, and as far as I know, they've, they've shown that it is feasible, but really it's just all about implementing it. And Mm. there are trusts actually who are moving towards this, certainly in the West Midlands, Mm. who are hoping to try it, try it out. So I think we'll see more of it. And I I agree. It's perhaps, I mean, maybe it's, maybe it's a bit of a generalization, but it's perhaps easier to in that setting to work out which consultations would be better delivered Mm. remotely because a lot of them will be follow-up consultations that only take a short amount of time um mm-hmm. i would say one of the things i think is key is retaining some sort of patient choice because of course yeah. for a lot of people that contact that personal face-to-face contact with the secondary care clinician is really mm-hmm. important and we wouldn't want to be in a situation where that was taken away completely i think Mm-hmm. But that's, that's really more my personal view based on what I know from the general practice setting rather than any any kind of in-depth understanding of the evidence in that setting.
0: Okay, cool. Well, thank you for your time, Helen. I, I know I found it really helpful and useful hearing all this information and particularly you know, it has given me a bit more perspective in terms of video consultations and how they may or may work effectively in primary care. Yes. Um, I guess... If any of our listeners or viewers wanted to ask any questions, is there a way they could contact you? Um, or
1: yeah, I'm you? happy to be contacted via email. That's absolutely fine. Um, mm-hmm. If there's a way for you to to um, to pass that on, um, yeah, sure
0: so uh, for everyone if if that's okay i'll stick in the show notes so people who want to find it can find
1: it from there yeah and And you can google me because it it comes up anyway on google Um, but i'd say definitely check out the toolkit and also we you know this is this is ongoing work so there'll be more work coming along in this area there's still so much more to do i would say that it keeps being a job but (laughs) but there is there's still an awful lot more we need to try and understand to, to kind of make this work really well for general practice
0: cool Well, I'd love to thank you for your time, Helen. It's been great speaking to you and um, uh, all of our EGP learners. I hope you've enjoyed this session and uh, we'll catch you in the next episode. So see you all later. So EGP learners, I hope you found that episode useful. As always, if you've got any comments or questions, make sure you feel free to contact me in any way that you feel best. Twitter, LinkedIn, Facebook, Instagram, YouTube, on the podcasting platforms. Leave a review if you want as well. I'd really appreciate it. As always, make sure you click subscribe to get all of our content first and foremost. And I'm always here to try and help save you and your patient's time by tech enhancing your primary care and learning. Catch you in the next episode.